you're listening to Uncharted Pages, the book review podcast where we read and review, week by week, chapter by chapter, the War of the Spark Ravnica novel from Magic. I am your host, David Wolf. I'm joined here with my co-host, Alan Harrison. So we've got an action-packed episode today, full of interesting chapters, um, some of my favorite chapters so far, and we're kicking it off with uh, Jace Bellerin, and I don't know if it's actually pronounced Bellerin or Bellerin. I think this is a topic of, a hot topic of much debate among Magic. Many Magic the Gathering players ask the question, is it Bellerin or Bellerin? Yeah, um, my, my source for this is going to be uh, that Patrick Chapin song. I think it's had all these, uh, where one of the lines is, um, uh, you wrote Mind Sculpture, but you meant Bellerin, or you played Mind Sculpture, but you meant Bellerin. Something like it's a line about a player getting uh, their deck list wrong. Uh, so for that source, it's Bellerin. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if Patrick Chapin is the most uh, authoritative source on pronunciation of magic cards or any any word. Any word. Fumigate. Yeah, that, that is that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, we're we're hoping to get through, I guess, maybe four chapters today. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a pirate troop, Chase uh, has arrived in Ravnica um, with a flurry of crisscrossing blue lines. Ooh, here we go. That's uh, that's how how he enters. Um, it's kind of like <laughs> I think this this opening line is like uh, the, whole, the whole opening line is yeah. With a flurry of crisscrossing blue lines, Jace Bellerin walked into his office, his sanctum chamber of the guild pact inside the embassy of the same so i think it's it's almost like because our all of our main characters are planeswalkers they can teleport you know, from one plane to another or within the plane from one area to another um we really don't get many like walking into a building like if, if he's a normal if jace was a normal dude this chapter would open up with him you know walking towards the building and describing the building and, and the scenery around it and the architecture of the city um so we just get a lot of characters just <laughs> appearing directly in the exactly where they need to be to move the story forward um i'm not sure if i like that or not yeah i i think you you said they're like teleporting around i don't think they actually can teleport directly around while they're on a plane however there is the idea that they could just planes walk away to another plane and then planes walk back to that one in a new place and i always kind of thought about that as a weird thing that could happen and why doesn't it happen and I guess it probably doesn't happen because the writers don't. Yeah, that's, I think that's it. I mean, it could make like a, I know in a, in a battle or in combat, and um, you could teleport around the place like uh, smoke for Mortal Kombat. That'd be cool. That would be pretty cool. I don't know if they can do it that fast. I think planeswalking does take some like time and effort. Like when I say time, I mean it's not like literally instantaneous. It's not like poof, they're gone. Like as you said from the description, it's like some crisscrossing lines, and you know we got the description of all the planeswalkers like appearing a few chapters ago and uh yeah it takes a little bit of time so and maybe there's like some kind of relativity of time that's going on where like there's some like maybe a few planes walk away and then planes walk back to the same plane you've lost some time yeah that could be it um yeah i suppose i think it's just something that hasn't been explored very very much uh maybe uh writers are reluctant to explore it uh maybe we'll see some more uh but I guess, yeah, immediately after Jace appears, our other characters uh, appear behind them, each each appearing with a different, um, you know, magical energy. Mm. Uh, the fairy comes in a little blue whirlwind. Uh, Karn is a clear silvery tone. What, what, what does a clear silvery tone sound like to you? Mm. Like that? No. <laughs> uh, that was my consideration tone. Um, I think a clear silvery tone would be like, you know, well, this definitely is not a clear silvery tone, but like, this is what his sound is in my head. You know, it's that little sound right when uh, 
when electric, uh, like automatic doors open, that like bing. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all. That's all we'll go with. Uh, go with for now, I guess. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I, I guess before the action starts in this in this um in the scene, we have yeah, a lot of this 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 chapter has a lot a lot of exposition about what all the different guilds were doing in Ravnica prior to uh, the arrival of our heroes. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was, so we kind of complained a little bit before about characters speaking to each other um, telepathically. Uh, it's set up again to happen here. Uh, we have, there's one line that says, Jace's illusion nodded and raised a finger to his mouth while the real Jace linked them all uh, psychically. And then in brackets, it says, linking Karn was a bit of a struggle. The golem's inorganic was, his, his golem's inorganic mind was so alien but Jace managed. So do we, do we really need to know that? Like he struggled a little bit more, Karen, but it was still fine. Yeah, I, I wrote that down myself. It's like, what's even the point of that sentence? Like, either either link him just as easy as anyone else, or make it so that he can't be linked and that's a problem or something like that. Because he's literally made of silver, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's kind of like, I feel like um, a lot of... Uh, our feedback uh, so far has been like you know the the, the author should kind of like, uh, dedicate more time to describing characters' interactions with each other, characters' impressions of each other, uh, you know, the emotion and the feeling of the characters. Uh, whereas a lot of the feedback we've given so far have really kind of lent to uh, extending the novel by a lot, uh, which probably is why some of these options haven't been chosen. Uh, but I guess if, if we're just having little extraneous pieces of information just dumped on us like this, uh, you know, just take those out and <laughs> add in some real uh, character development. Yeah, and like. You know what? What is the means by which they are being linked psychically? I mean, like maybe these things can't be explained or whatever. But like, I still want to go back to the point that I made last week, which was that magic does not have a very clear system of magic defined, and I don't understand why people speak to each other psychically. Like, why? Obviously, we know it's because Jace is a blue mage, but what does that have to do with linking people together psychically so they can speak to each other in their minds? Like, oh, it just really annoys me. And then the whole thing of literally drawing attention to that by saying, oh, it was more difficult to link Karn. Like, how was it more difficult? In what way does Jace actually accomplish this task? Like, oh. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it, this, I think there's something we can spend a lot of time discussing the semantic system in general uh, in this story. Uh, so it's, uh, Brandon Sanderson has, you know, his rules and magic systems that he's, you know, he's put together. This is another fantasy author. Um, and one of the rules, I, I don't know just the actual wording offhand, but it's basically, you know, if, you, if you're going to have a story of magic in it, you need to take two approaches. Either magic is a really rare thing that you know, never happens uh, and you know, rarely uh, impacts the plot and the characters. So something like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit is, is an example of this where yeah, magic exists, but it ra- it's rarely used to save the day. It's rarely used by characters to get out of situations. Uh, so either you go that direction or uh, you lay out a, re- a very clear magic system um, you just lay out kind of rules of what magic can and can't do. Uh, this would be the re- this would be typical of most of Sanderson's writing, uh, where you know because if if we know if the reader knows exactly how the magic works, then uh, they can they they can get a feel for oh maybe they can get out of this situation by doing this this and this. Uh, whereas if you just kind of take you know something in the middle of those two extremes, so like like this story here, uh, I feel like we're going to be in a lot of situations where the character is going to be in danger, but they're just going to magic themselves out of it, uh, and it's not going to be very satisfying. Yeah. And, like, yeah, there's just no limits to what they can do, as far as we know. So why can't they just get out of any situation? Like, and, you know, it also cheapens, like, bad things that could happen to them because you're just like, well, why don't they just use their magic to get out of that? It's fine. Yeah, 
I think this is going to be an ongoing complaint for me, certainly, because it just really does my head. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a magic system reminiscent of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. We, we just don't know how powerful these characters are. They seem to just be able to do anything, so we just got to go with it. But who is Salem? <laughs> um, Salem is a Johnny. That's Make, straightforward. Yeah. Um, so the, the subtitle that I've given this chapter is uh, Magic the Movie Test Screenplay. Because I felt like this chapter was very, very cinematic. Okay, so you mean like you mean in a, in a positive way, or um... yes, kind of. I mean, I, I, the the title is a bit like sarcastic in that it almost reads like they're trying they're trying to write the movie here, and that's kind of annoying. If that's if that's any kind of a goal of this book is to like help write the movie or be a test for the movie in some way, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I guess yeah. There are there are some parts where I feel like, uh, like what was it exactly? Um, it's kind of cheesy, but that's okay. I think that's fine. You can be a bit self serious, but also end up being cheesy. I I think that is a dangerous area to hit because that's the area where things can be really crap. But uh, I think it can be fine. And I don't know some like some of the character intro stuff or. Uh, like Lavinia's recap of what the guilds have been doing that happens in this chapter, right? Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. So it's like it's like very weirdly stylized in the way that I feel like it's almost like like a Guy Ritchie movie or something. Like I feel like there'd be a big sp- splash screen where it says like Azorius on the screen, and then you would get like a very quick hit, like this is what's happened with the Azorius guild until now, with like you know stills. Oh, I like that action action shots and stuff like that. Yeah, that actually is. Yeah, it, it, I kind of I felt I kind of walked away from this chapter with a positive, um, yeah, be, feeling like it was it was you know more comprehensible and kind of yeah flowed better than the other chapters. But I guess yeah, when you describe it like that, it really is a different kind of style. Taken, I guess like uh, yeah, the line that leads into this is uh, Lavinia con- continued given the status of each guild one by one, and like I'd expect like you know bongos to start in the background, and then like you know uh, some brass like boom 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 the Gulgari swarm, and then what happens? So the way it's written is that yeah, we're, it's it's almost um it's like subsections or bullet points where it's like the Gulgari so the one sentence is the Gulgari swarm and then under it it's like about six lines of description as to what's been happening to the Gulgari guild um and then yeah it just goes through all ten like this yeah and then like yeah the, like the the writer has used the physical medium of of like the words on the page to create an effect and a style that like is reminiscent of movies to me and like. It just it really sticks out in my head as well because I just watched um, Into the Spider Verse today and that has like a very similar kind of motif where it's like you meet like spoilers you meet many different types of Spider Man in Into the Spider Verse and each time you meet one uh, this like comic book slams down onto the page or onto the like onto the screen and you get a really quick like recap of what has led that Spider Man up to that point in the story and this kind of reminded me of of that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's um, yeah, definitely is a deviation from how the story is told previously. But I guess yeah. So within all these smaller subsections, uh, you know, thank God that the the exposition is delivered through two characters speaking, which um is a big step up to what we've seen before. Um, I mean, I think I think this chapter would, would work really well, even if you just took out those headings and just had just a big, you know, a, a, just a long scene of dialogue with characters speaking to each other, um, providing you know exposition as to. What has happened? What has happened uh, with all the other guilds? Because we're seeing 
Now, we're also getting some physical beats. You know, we're having like Jace flinching when he hears something. We're kind of seeing characters be surprised when pieces of information are delivered to them. So um, this is um, a good way of, of delivering exposition, delivering a large amount of exposition. Uh, but yeah, like you're saying, this is the way it's stylized is a bit strange. Yeah, the good thing about it is it feels like a catch-up that was sorely needed. Like, the characters are there listening to Lavinia, but, like, it, you know, we can kind of empathize. We can feel like we're there listening to Lavinia as well because we sorely need this information. We're like, what's what's been going on here for the last few months? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's kind of strange how, like, so from finishing this chapter, the author knows how to deliver exposition in a natural, organic way. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I was, after reading this, I was kind of just left thinking, like, why why didn't we see this before? You know, like... um. The vast majority of the first Chandra, Chandra chapter was uh, yeah, just the narrator telling us everything. Um, so this was <laughs> seen it this way it was a nice uh, was a nice step in the right direction. Uh, let's see if the author can stay in that direction. <laughs> um, I had some like issues with some of what the guilds were doing. I don't know if this is like yeah. a genuine like uh, something that I should actually be criticizing or whatever. Uh, but I, I really feel like. Some of the stuff about the guilds was just like thrown out there as like, oh, this is how this guild is right now, without any real justification for why they would be doing that or any idea of like what could possibly be going on there that they would like. Like the the thing that brought it to my mind mostly was the Simic, because they say like the Simic are basically uncontactable. They've walled themselves off. Why are they completely or they're completely unwilling to parlay? And I'm like, why? What's surely there's like more to this story, and maybe we get more later, but. I really feel like this was probably set up in this way so that some guilds don't really come into it as much as others. And it's just like, oh yeah, they're off by themselves. They don't really want to have anything to do with us. Yeah, I think I think it's like, <laughs> the author just felt the need to name all 10, even though maybe nine or even eight are, are going to be relevant to the story. Yeah, because what we know about the Simic Combine so far, they don't necessarily see what they typed out barricade, barricade themselves off. You know, they, um, well, maybe, maybe we'll see more. Perhaps. Um... There's a weird list of Jace's ex-love interests in this chapter. What did you think of that? Do you think that was too much, too much backstory? I think it's. I mean, it was. I feel. Like, I mean, it seems like it is going to be leading us to something. But um, yeah. Again, it was very heavy-handed. I think this is kind of when the the author switches back to their previous way of of describing uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, almost like a list. Yeah. Who 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 did he mention? Because I didn't write down the names of the of the people. It's like um, it's like the most recent. Um, Liliana, does it does it mention in the book him sleeping with Liliana? It mentioned... uh, no, there, there was a throwaway line earlier on uh, that was in Chandra's mind where she said um, something, 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 Jace and Liliana, and then her thoughts were, hey, they did sleep together, right? Seems so weird to me in a, a book like this, which is like almost aimed at kids. I guess it's 13 plus or whatever, but I don't know, it just seems weird. Yeah, yeah, and I think even just the language, we, 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 yeah, we, we, um, spoke a lot to Chandra's um, uh, yeah, speech patterns before. Uh, yeah, slept together is is a very um, contemporary way of of describing that act. Yes, very true. Um, yeah, I've written that down again. That the way Chandra speaks is like so so grating. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Karn's characterization in this chapter? Yeah, I think well, <laughs> I think it's it's fine because I think I've read reviews before where we see um, kind of Karn doing more. Uncarn likes of uh, so I'm gonna with that to back my mind. I'm like, all right, yeah, his characterization here is fine. Um, I think later on he's gonna be described as like smashing stuff, uh, which isn't isn't really how how we we know Karn. I mean, he's a big he's a big robot. He can smash some stuff if he wants. 
Yeah, but what, didn't, isn't he very like passive? Or he was like, um, not passive. Um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, passive. Pacifist. Uh, he, he became pacifist after his thing with the Corexians. Yes, I believe so. No, he, I think he was pacifist before that, I want to say. But um, like, I'm sure events have conspired to turn him not pacifist and they've probably conveniently forgotten that fact as they go on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, this is where you have our. I think when you, when you brought up Karen, you, you're you're talking about his ghost assassin line. Is that it? That yeah, that's exactly what I was alluding to. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, uh, do you want to? Yeah, I have, I have in front of me. Uh, let's read it out. It's um. Uh, you said she was a ghost assassin. That's ghost hyphen assassin. I meant she's an assassin who specializes in killing ghosts. She's not a ghost who's an assassin. She's alive. Karen frowned. Then ghost assassin is a very imprecise term. I think it's yeah. I think it's a new side to Karen we haven't seen before. Um, he's uh, it's it's yeah, reminiscent of Drax, I guess, from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so I think it's just very it's it's a very easy archetype to fall into, I guess, to, to have Karen, to have Karen become this archetype because he's just a big, silent, strong um, robot man. Yeah, but why why is it funny to me when it's Drax, but it's not funny when it's Karen? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I... Yeah, it's it's a there might be some element of like comic timing and delivery and like deadpan whatever that again is cinematic and doesn't come across in writing yeah yeah that's actually true um i think yeah my, my large complaint so far about this novel as a whole is that yeah this feels more like um a dude describing a movie to you than it is um like a book oh my god uh, yeah this is something that works very well on screen yeah and not <laughs> not on paper that is actually very accurate of how this book reads it's like somebody somebody read some fan fiction and they're describing it to me yeah i think it's it's um it's very familiar i, I mentioned uh, ernest klein before uh, ready player one um it's like it's almost like the, the the author just has the movie in their head and they're they just they want this to be made and they just imagine this, this story be made into a movie and uh, describing how that movie would have would play out uh rather than you know writing a story yeah i don't know yeah so, i mean it's yeah so i think um, before we move on to the next chapter, I've been very critical of um, the author so far, but this chapter, um, one line in the next chapter, if we're ready to move on, um, kind of started to make me feel like there's more going on. But yeah, we can we can wait first. One second, yeah. My my worst line in this chapter was, <laughs> this is so bad. Jace heard multiple gasps, but didn't bother to try to decipher who was the most shocked. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did not highlight that one, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it to my attention. That's uh, what that is, that is wonderful. What is the point of that line? What is even the point? I don't know. I I think um yeah, it feels like every physical beat with Jace is just uh, very strange. Um yeah, like what, why is that a response? Like what kind of reaction is is that to a group of people being shocked? Oh, I don't know who was. We were all shocked, but I don't know who was the most shocked. Like does that does that matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, it doesn't matter. Second of all. Who would even think of that? Like, who? Why? Why would anyone's mind go there? Um, you, you mentioned physical beat. I think you've said it a couple of times now, but I'm not actually familiar with that term. So, I mean, I think I can probably kind of figure it out. But can you explain it for? Yeah, honestly. Is that? Yeah, a- I just I just want to try find. Yeah, I just want to try find examples. So this one example in front of me here is um, uh, this is uh, Jace speaking. So it's uh, it's uh, it's what I assumed would happen. Jace crossed to a bookshelf, pulled the title, and flipped through the pages. Here he said. So it's like. Rather than saying, um, you know, sentence, like sentence of dialogue, said Jace, it's a sentence of dialogue, uh, Jace doing an action, and then more dialogue. So it's kind of just like, yeah, it's just a physical movement of a character, uh, you know, during um, 
usually in the, in the middle of dialogue or after saying something. Okay. Call that a physical beat. Okay. So yeah, basically, kind of yeah, usually the sentence that just lets us see what the character is doing or or where the character, how the character is positioned or standing or or um, uh, how they're gesturing. Um, so this seems like every time, <laughs> every time there's one for Jace, it's just put very strangely. Hmm. Well, speaking of physical beats, I know that the next chapter involves a big dumb idiot who has is very capable of putting some physical beats on people. Oh boy, is he! And uh, don't we learn this in the in the uh, opening in the opening passage? If you would uh, allow me to read, uh, this is a uh, Gideon Jorah, chapter eight. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just read this just so, so the audience can get a feel for this gritty warrior chiseled character. Battle chiseled, battled worn warrior. Okay. Gideon had stopped pretending. He gave a damn about plans. Strategist, tactician, that was never for me. A general? No, I'm a foot soldier, a sergeant at best, a fighter, a brawler, maybe, I suppose, a weapons master. There was a dragon that needed slaying, an elder dragon, and Gideon had acquired a weapon, Blackblade, that had once slain an elder dragon. Get close and stab. These days, that sounded like Gideon's kind of plan. What? Like, he's literally being just set up as an actual idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's such a, cause it's, it's, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it'd be very easy for, um, a character like Gideon who, yeah, he's, he's a warrior, a soldier. Um, it'd be very easy for him to be kind of framed as being a master strategist, a strategist or a tactician. Uh, cause, you know, usually, you know, Medieval warfare involves a lot of strategy and a lot of tactics, uh, and he has been kind of framed as a leader before. I think previously he kind of saw himself as the the leader of of the of the Gatewatch, um, but yeah, now he's just become like a yes, a me smash, Hulk smash, uh, kind of dude. Yeah, it's weird. So weird to me because like he says he was never a strategist or, or a tactician, but didn't he literally like lead the war effort on Zendikar? Wasn't he actually the general? Like I know he, I know he gave up the man. Yeah. At one point, he gave it to General Tazari, but like he was actually a general at one point. So he and he says in this, "I'm not a general. I'm a sergeant at best, and maybe a weapons master." Like what's he? What? What? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I I feel like uh, the things he listed: general, um, the soldier makes sense. There are kind of two extremes. Sergeant, I guess, is probably very simplified. I guess sergeant is somewhere in between. Um. Then he goes on to say, fighter, brawler, and weapons master. It's like, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. And like, I, I would want to think that he's a weapons master because, well, like traditionally, Gideon's weapons were his surals, which I don't even know if those are real life, real world weapons, but they were like whips that came out of his hands, like like steel or metal whips that came out of his hands. And he's since replaced those with the black blade. So he's gone from a very specialized, weird weapon over to like a two-handed sword, a massive sword. So like he's adapted fairly well <laughs> between those two weapons. Yeah. I know that he did javelin stuff as well because he's from Teros. So <laughs> he can definitely throw a javelin. I'm sure of that. So I think Weapons Master is probably fairly accurate, but it just seemed yeah, really out of place along with the other things. Yeah. Um, I, I just Googled Soral. Assuming I spelled it right, uh, Urban Dictionary is giving me a rude definition. So um, it's supposed to be a uh, a fantasy a fantasy term. Okay, how did you spell it? Yeah, uh, with two S U or or A L. I think it's only one or. Okay. Um. Yes. Yeah. So well, when I want to type that in, I, I, all I'm getting is really just uh, references to Gideon. Um. Uh. There is uh, oh anatomy. It's relating to the calf of the leg, part of a leg, 
<laughs> it has been being up of drowsy dudes with a, a piece of leg. Wonderful. Well, um, I found something. I found something. So apparently it's based on a weapon called the Urumi, which is a sword with a flexible whip-like blade originating from the Indian subcontinent. Notable in that it is now Southern India and Sri Lanka. It is thought to have existed from as early as the Sangam period. So yeah, it's it's a it's a whip sword basically that he was using, and uh, I, I guess that kind of makes sense because originally Gideon has had the probably one of the widest representations of like his um, ethnicity in his art in magic, and I think he was originally intended to be like some variation of like Indian or like Southeast Asian maybe. Um, but like that's kind of gone gone away more and more as his character has changed and evolved. He's fairly like generic white beefcake dude now. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. Um, yeah, definitely his, his, his weapon lends to a, a, an interesting background. Um, I guess yeah, for for those unfamiliar magic, Gideon is from uh, the plane of Theros, which is like a, a Greek, an ancient Greek analog. Um, but, so uh, yeah, I guess he, he probably had all sorts of mix up. Yeah, like so. Technically, he should be like Mediterranean or whatever. But um, I think when when Gideon was originally created, he was like Theros didn't exist. So you know, I think he was created with a particular uh, kind of description or or vision for the character, and then they later fit him into Theros. Or maybe maybe the idea for Theros was always there. I don't know. Can't say. But, okay. Yeah. 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 Make it makes sense that they would they would that they would change as uh, as um, they change his his vision as. You know, his background is written. It wasn't written before. Well, we don't get the best impression of him in this chapter, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he, he very much is just a headstrong, oh, threat, clean, no nonsense. There are not much nonsense, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, but now about his background, uh, there, was, there was something that really stood out to me uh, as being like a jarring, a jarring piece of information that the author is dropping on us, which I think, you know, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat, which I think... Uh, I think it really just describes a lot of what's going on, that, or a lot, a lot of what's what has gone on with the writing of this novel. Uh, if you will indulge, or let me indulge. So there is a, yes, yeah, so there's, there's a very clumsy package, a uh, very clumsy uh, passage uh, that just basically just drops. So it's we're in a bit of a high action scene. People are moving from one place to another. Um, we're kind of seeing, um, yeah, it's it's like a, it's it's a, a, basically it's an action sequence. Uh, but then this line is just thrown into the middle of this action sequence. Uh, his unvulnerability. Made that unlikely, and frankly, he hadn't feared death since he was a kid on the plain of Theros. Githian Iora, the name he'd been born with, before foreign pronunciation had altered it to Gideon Jura. So, like, we're basically in the middle of the sequence, we're just, we're, we're just bombarded with this piece of information that, oh, by the way, his real name isn't Gideon. His name used to be Kithion, well, but you know, it, changed, it changed to Gideon because people couldn't really pronounce it properly. Uh, so, that kind of, this sentence really kind of made me stop and think because it made me wonder, like, why the hell? Are we given this information now? Like, why is this important? If you know, if uh, action stuff is happening, if, if we're in the middle of a fast-paced sequence, um, so then the more I thought about it, uh, there is, uh, yeah, so there is a card in this uh, in, in, in the match that this, that this uh, novel is based on. Uh, oh, it's called. Oh, you might know it. Is it Hero's Redemption or is it? Uh, I think it's that, the green heartwarming redemption or heartwarming reception, something like that. You're talking about the, the red. Uh, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my theory is um Well don't don't give spoilers I guess with the name just Yeah, I won't yeah, I won't give spoilers. But, but basically there there is um based on the end of Heartwarming Redemption is the name of this card. Uh it's so it's a scene that takes place at the end of this novel where essentially it's a it's um it's a payoff of knowing what Keith, what Gideon's real name is. 
So it's a um, how to describe it. It's 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 a it's a powerful scene that is made even more powerful if we know if we the reader know that Gideon's real name is Gideon. Um, so I guess like this line here is like it's, it makes it feel like that there's someone over the author's shoulder saying, "Hey, we need to the the reader needs to know what Gideon's real name is really early on." And maybe there's a conversation of, well, we can't put it in here. It's an action sequence. This doesn't make any sense to put that kind of exposition into an action sequence. Um, so like this, this line is jammed in here so uh, so awkwardly, and and it is it is it's so jarring and so um yeah it's 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 so it feels almost bloated. Um, this piece of this piece of exposition in this sequence uh, that makes me think that maybe there has been a lot of uh, yeah maybe there's just you know, a lot of people kind of um, given direction to uh, Greg Weisman, the author, as to what needs to be included. Um, where it may, maybe the author didn't have full control over what went into this novel. Because, uh, like, yeah, just dropping this information in here just seems very, very strange to me. And the only reason why I think it's in here is because it needs to be in here for this payoff at the end of the story. Yeah, you're definitely right there. Like, I never, I didn't really think about it in that way until until you started saying it right there. Like, as soon as you mentioned that that card from the set i was like oh i know where else going now uh but that's that's such a clumsy way to introduce that kind of a payoff like surely and plus as well if it's happening now then we're expected to remember that information for the whole novel until the payoff like what um so yeah exactly surely it would be better to like have maybe midway through the novel or like three three quarters through maybe the heroes have a low moment and like where they're you know almost defeated or they're regrouping before the final battle and like people are injured whatever and Gideon has like some kind of like campfire moment campfire story moment where he you know tells people about his history back on Theros and how his name was Kitty and Eora whatever I think that would feel more that would feel more appropriate and maybe we will get that moment maybe it is in there but somehow doubt it yeah yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I haven't really looked ahead, but it's it's, it's possible that yeah, maybe there is so it's possible because there's, there's a lot of point of view characters, a lot of point of view characters in the story. Uh, maybe we don't get into Gideon's head again until this um, payoff does happen. But uh, I, I, I I don't know for sure if this is yeah one of Gideon's only chapters. Um, so yeah, I think as you read on, we'll see this in, in later chapters. I'll, I'll bring it up um you know whenever whenever uh it's relevant because I this kind of after I read this line, now I'm kind of seeing this. I'm reading the story through the lens of you know what? This seems like um, a lot of people were were you know pushing and pulling at at, at this story, trying to you know force information in there or trying to you know, steer in different directions. Uh, this doesn't feel like a novel that was written by one person or with one person's vision. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it um, just naturally feel that way anyway, just purely because magic is so big and so many people do touch the story that maybe there's no way that one person could even pull it all together in such a way that it ever felt like that. So, like, we might be asking a little bit too much there from the author, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't really feel that way, and maybe there is an author out there who could pull it together in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a. I, I suppose it's kind of you know, I, I say a lot of authors probably office could do it on drone if um because you know they're 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 giving the information they just they they, they they could probably just turn around and produce a story uh, that may not have all the information that the wider creative team wants. Um, there's some instances, I, I guess. Um. Yeah, when I get into which way there's a point of view character, but we can get into it once you get to it. But there's a viewpoint character later on who I really feel like shouldn't be a viewpoint character. Um, to me, it seems like someone on the creative, you know, it's possible that maybe this character wasn't never a viewpoint character, and someone on the creative team said, "Well, no, of course you have to have this person's viewpoint character." Um, so it it seems like there was a lot of that going on, uh, just kind of ba- based on the way uh, these chapters are laid out and this writing is laid out. Yeah, could could well be Th- these uh, products like this. 
books like this that are designed to to sell to kind of a niche audience they need to serve that niche audience as best as they can so i think like wizards are not well known for continuing on with things that are not successful that don't sell well so i think if they were going to do this then probably the the people in charge of the story had to convince the higher ups that hey this is going to sell we're going to push these popular characters people are going to be so into it they're going to enjoy it so yeah i think maybe the story or the mechanics of the story may have suffered for fan service maybe if you can say that i'm not sure yeah no definitely i think it's i I don't i'm kind of starting to kind of see this more as like this this novel is more of a marketing tool than than a story dare i say oh yeah that's that's what it's starting to feel like you you know i mean we can be very cynical and say that everything is a marketing tool for everything but at some point we can also enjoy the things so i think it's fine we'll be okay um so just just to give a quick recap of what happened in this chapter, the everybody went off on their little plan to try to kill Nicobolus. Um and they their plan was to stand together in a big group, be invisible, sneak up on him and stab him with the sword. And halfway there, uh, a giant portal opened in the courtyard and now they've no idea what's going on. Uh my worst line from this chapter was um in stark contrast to the destruction that the tear in space had caused and was causing, had caused and was causing. <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, that's, that's very strange. <laughs> I don't see why was causing isn't sufficient there. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, um, yeah, again, this is almost like a, a almost like a James Joyceian play on words. Uh, like, it's, it's yeah, it, it, it seems like it was the intention was to be on a, on the smart, uh, caused and causing. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's not come. Let's not come across that way. Reminds me of um, your your first uh, favorite line was uh, "I was toughing him to toughen him up." Yeah, that was pretty. It's very similar to that. Yeah, um, yeah, it just took me out of it and made me think about the grammar rules of the English language, which is something that I don't really want to think about because I think about it all day in work. Um, moving on to the next chapter, we have Dak Faden, the greatest thief in the multiverse. Um, so yet another new chapter, and this chapter is. Well, I personally felt that it was a big change in tone from the other chapters because it's like a lot funnier and a lot more lighthearted. And my subtitle for this chapter was, of course, there's more more references to the movie that I've been watching. Uh, my subtitle was Ravnica into the Spider-Verse because <laughs> Dak Faden just is Spider-Man in this chapter. Yeah, I, I actually, I like this, cha- this chapter a lot and I like Dak Faden's character a lot because... Um, I guess one of the most technical things you said about this story so far has been there's been very few characters. Uh, Lady Anna was our first character introduced in uh, chapter four, chapter five, I think. Um, so now we have another character, Dak Baden. He has things he wants and he has things he's afraid of. And he's a character who has a fleshed out backstory and he has motivations Wait. and inner conflict. So, so yeah, <laughs> I got to press my big red button again for a big fanfare. Like, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> character number two. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, the the main effect of this chapter on me while reading the book was to make me think I like this character a lot and I want the book to continue from his point of view. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, no, I I feel like I'm almost almost biased because I always had a very strong affinity for for uh, these kind of you know, rogue thief like characters. Um, ever since I think I I blame Final Fantasy Nine. I think for this. But uh, I've always just been drawn towards these characters in every game, every RPG, every 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 fantasy novel. 
Um, you know, I've always liked his characters a lot, and I think it's like straight away he the author does a very good job of of, of fleshing back out uh, without going you know just without without spending too much time doing it. Um, now this is a line I guess probably isn't a credit a credit to uh, to Greg Weissman himself, but um, you know, so Dak Faden refers to himself as the greatest thief in the multiverse, which is kind of like it's kind of a, a funny thing to to you know uh, it's like um yeah a funny thing to declare yourself as uh, because obviously the multiverse is very 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 big. Uh, there's no way he could possibly know that he's the greatest thief in the multiverse. But even like that one line alone tells us that, you know, A, he's obviously somewhat capable at, at his job. He's, he must be some sort of a good thief if he feels this way. Uh, second, that he's uh, very egotistical. Uh, third, that he's very narrow-minded. He feels he probably feels like he's seen all the thieves in the multiverse and he still uh, declares himself as being the best. So like just through, you know, these five, literally these five words, greatest thief in the multiverse, uh, we just get a lot of... Uh, characterization of Dark Fade, uh, which is you know, definitely the, the way you want to try and characterize a character uh, you know, through um, a very small amount of words. Yeah, he also, like when we first see him, he, he materializes in the in midair in a puff of purple smoke. So that's like, that's quite a comic, again, a, a comic cinematic scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, and it, it is kind of draw, draw our attention to the fact that we just assume um, we don't really know what, what kind of take, what What's involved in planeswalking? Um, this kind of actually, I think it is probably the first really humorous moment where, uh, yeah, he he planes he planeswalks Ravnica, but appears four foot in the air and then falls to the ground, uh, which kind of makes it think like, oh, so like do the other guys do like you know do Gideon and Chandra and Liliana do they like have to put effort into planeswalking and landing on the ground? Uh, this is kind of funny juxtaposition as to how planeswalking has been uh, portrayed uh, earlier in the story. Yeah, the other guys seem like effortless in a way and then he he's kind of a, a bungler um I, I get the feeling that Dak is going to be the comic relief to some extent yeah yeah that's possible um yeah cause i think it's just the tone yeah the whole, the whole tone of this of, of this um chapter is, is shifted again um i guess in a more positive way but um yeah definitely different from different from gideon before yeah i yeah i, I don't think we have too much more to say about this chapter because all, all it really is is introducing yeah. Dak as a character saying Oh, here's all these things that he's stolen. Yet again, we see another like magic thing that I don't understand. So basically, things that he's he's stolen, he can take the spells or enchantments that are on those things and then incorporate them into himself, as in as in he can steal them and then use them. But like it's not exactly explained here. But I actually think that that's a a good description of like a type of magic. And it's like, oh, Dak can do this. This is the thing he's good at. He can steal a spell from an o- object, an item. And now he knows that spell. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it, it, it is gonna, it, it is an, it is an interesting um, yeah, aspect to him. And it's kind of, it's kind of one thing that kind of, that kind of does annoy me is that every time, yeah, every every time a character is planeswalked, they've kind of done it in a different manner. You know, like if it's, if it's purple smoke or if it's a, a a silvery tone or if it's a blue whirlwind. So the the flavor of everyone's magic abilities are very different from one another. Um, but we 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 never learned about how. Yeah, we never learn about the details of what's involved in 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 each character's uh, you know magic uh, repertoire. Whereas this is the first time we actually do, and it is kind of an interesting thing that uh, yeah, seeing seeing magic from items is something that you strictly not a kind of fun twist and turns you can do with that. Um, so something that could be played on later on to great effect uh, in the story. Yeah, and I mean it's not even much more explicit about in terms of what he can and can't do than than what the other planeswalkers can and can't do, like. He could have stolen any number of magical items that he's he's taken the spells from. We don't really know. 
you know that that could be used as as an excuse yeah. for any old ability that he might he might need for the story. But at least we feel like there's a reason that he can do those things now. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it could be fleshed out more, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a better job to what we've seen before. All right, I think uh, I think we'll have to wrap it up there. I was hoping to get on to chapter eleven, but I think we don't want to let it run too long. So uh, next next yep. we'll start off on chapter ten, Chandra Nalar. Back to Chandra, my favorite. Uh, my my title for back, this, back to Chandra. Yeah, my title for this the next chapter is uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, that's the extent of what happens. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, you like that? Yeah. So, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, that'd be great. Leave us a review on iTunes. Would be fantastic because we are on iTunes now. We're on Spotify. Should be on all all good podcast apps, podcast aggregators. Um, if you want to ask us a question or make any suggestions, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Govanan, G O V A N N A N, and Al is at. I am uh, at Alan Harrison. That's a L A N, and uh, Harrison spelt like the royal baby Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. Uh, so uh, shout outs to uh, shout outs to Megan and uh, H Block for uh, naming the son after me. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.